Welcome to the C Word, the Conservatives podcast. Today we're talking about gloves. I'm Jenny Mathiason, an objects conservative based in South Yorkshire. I'm Chloe Rumsey, an objects conservative based in Greater Manchester. And I'm Christina Rizek, an objects conservative based in Cambridgeshire. Today's topic is gloves, and thus also a little bit of health and safety. Basically, the conversation around gloves and the wearing of them or not by different conservators, different uh, museum staff members, mm-hmm. and different purposes in general. Yeah, I was going to say different situations, that sort of thing. Members of the public, of course. Mm. And what pe- members of the public sometimes Volunteers. expect. <laughs> so I used to work at a museum where um, volunteers ran handling sessions for the public. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of the volunteers flatly refused to wear nitrile gloves um, because uh, the ones we had in the museum were powder-free so, um, so that we didn't get powder all over the objects. Oh, yeah, quite. Um, but as you probably know, the powder-free ones can get a bit kind of sweaty and clammy after yeah. you've been wearing them for a while. And if you're used to that, that's kind of okay. I don't really notice it anymore. But the volunteers found it very uncomfortable and just flatly refused to wear them. So as a compromise, they were allowed to wear cotton gloves. Mm. Um, but they were basically the only people in the museum who used cotton gloves. But they were the ones who were sort of doing the whole kind of public display uh, thing. Oh. I thought it, I thought it was just interesting that, that interesting. they were running these handling sessions. And <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. And they were like the kind of public face of glove wearing in the museum. But actually... Yeah. Uh, they weren't following the practice that went on behind the scenes where the conservators would either wear nitrile gloves most of the time or sometimes not wear gloves at all. Mm, yeah. So there is, of course, that thing of um, I think people sometimes feel I'm inconsistent in my glove wearing, but it's actually just that I risk assess it every time I approach an object where sometimes I will approach it with clean hands or what I perceive to be clean hands, if you see what I mean. Um because sometimes wearing gloves is more dangerous um, in terms of the damage that you can cause. Uh, but that's something uh, I take upon myself. Like I make that judgment and I realize that it means I'm unprotected from whatever is on that object and that I am depositing something onto the object. I I realize this. Um, so on occasion, I will not wear gloves, but it is the exception, not the rule. Uh, most of the time I will just wear my nice nitrile gloves. And like you say, most of the time people will object because they are sweaty. So uh, this is true of volunteers and staff, I've, I've, I feel. Um, and it doesn't seem to be a generational thing, like amongst museum staff, for example, because I've encountered uh, all manner of curators or similar uh, where people will not wear gloves even though they know better and sometimes they will do it for personal reasons like I don't like having sweaty hands or um, oh but this object was always meant to be used so it was always meant to be touched uh, you, you hear all manner of uh, different responses to the call to wear gloves which is really interesting and it, like I said it doesn't seem to be a generational thing because sometimes really young curators uh, or museum staff members who have had, you know, very recent training where, you know, glove wearing, I would argue, is very much taught. Uh, they still won't wear gloves, which is interesting. My opinion on glove wearing um, is basically based around uh, hazard training that I've received in the past. Um, that is basically, basically says cotton gloves provide you with no protection at yeah. all. Um and nitrile gloves, if you are to get, say, hazardous oils or pesticides or insert hazard here on your gloves, you must change them immediately. So the idea of wearing essentially a permeable surface on your hands really, you know, what's the point, really? So that's my that's my basic opinion of it. Um, also, I've said to people in the past who said, oh, I'm just going to wear, I'm going to wear these these cotton gloves instead because my hands get so sweaty in the nitrile ones and I say to them but imagine all of that sweat that isn't going on the object if your hands are sweaty in the gloves that's a good thing because it means that it's no long it's not actually going all over everything you're touching Mm. 
So I have personally, it's either as well as you, either nitrile or I will wash my hands and then interact with a set number of materials, mainly actually just organics. Mm. Um, And I have to have a knowledge of whether or not there is a hazardous substance on the surface of that object. And if I'm sure there isn't, or if I find it highly unlikely, then I will go without gloves. But then, you know, I'm not after that, however un uh, hazardous I feel the object is I'm not going to then stick my fingers in my mouth or <laughs> put them through my hair or <laughs> rub them all over my do face not, do not touch yeah. your face yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly uh, I do have an anecdote actually about um, when I have lifted the blanket nitrile rule mm. and this is when I was um, I was working with handling contractors at a very large object decant mm-hmm. Um and essentially it was, you know, very, very heavy. I was not doing the handling. This is what we had our contractors for. Um, and I let them, I allowed them to use their lifting gloves instead oh. of nitrile gloves because I felt that the lifting gloves were what they used to. It was allowing them to do their professional jobs effectively yeah. without any other concerns. If there was a case of this object is oily, I did say I would actually like you to either wear nitrile gloves instead or immediately change and dispose of your lifting gloves Mm -hmm. and then wash your hands. Even though lifting gloves do have an impermeable layer on the the, mm -hmm. the action end. Um, But, you know, taking the, the step to inform there may be these specific hazards on these objects. Please do not consider your gloves as clean they need to be changed regularly, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That is when I have lifted the, the nitrile oh, but that, band. That, I feel like that's a good good real-life example of when um, you need to alter the rules. Yeah. Alter the rules sounds very imposing, doesn't it? <laughs> Do you think, I mean, we've, we've all been pretty scathing about cotton gloves, uh, the kind of white cotton gloves that yeah, are no, we're a bit mean, kind of museum we? stereotypes. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, do they actually have a place in museums? Do they have any redeeming features apart from kind of allowing volunteers not to get sweaty? Because, um, <laughs> <laughs> because as you said, Chloe, they're, they are permeable, but also they're absorbent, which is yeah. pretty gross. Uh, whichever way the absorbency is going, in fact, whether yes. whether they're absorbing all the kind of secretions off your hands, or whether they're soaking up whatever's on the object, particularly kind of you know, weepy or oily or whatever object, um, they they they're quite kind of snaggy and they can mm. leave um, threads and fibres all over things. They can snag on friable objects and so on. Um, they could be really slippery, um, and mm. I would absolutely not want to be wearing them if i were carrying say a massive round smooth round pot for example mm. um in white cotton gloves that sounds like an accident kind of waiting to happen yeah, yeah. of course you can you can you can buy the ones with little rubber studs on the palm but then there's the issue of kind of interaction of those yeah um kind of rubbery bits with the objects as well so i mean basically should we be kind of burning them all well, for for me, an issue, an additional issue, is that I find that they never fit. Like they're always huge. Yeah, same. Um, but then it might be just that you know museums tend to buy one size fits all, and it does not. Um, <laughs> they seem to be for people with stumpy fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're it's very just, odd shape. My observation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're, the o- they're an odd really shape, short. and they always seem oddly short. Like they don't actually mm. provide any protection up. Up towards your arm, yeah. but of course they're not really meant to because nitrile gloves are of course meant to protect you from spills and that sort of thing. So they are meant to be a bit longer, um, not marigold mm. kind of long, <laughs> but you know longer. Uh, as we always felt it incredibly annoying that I always keep if I wear uh, white cotton gloves, I keep tugging at them. I want them to be longer. I don't like where they end. I'm a, I'm a bit freaked out by mm. them. But um, I suppose the one thing in their favour is that they are reusable. You can wash them. You can reuse them. Of course, nitrile gloves and similar are all disposable for good reason. 
But then I would say, I mean, I, I'm so vehemently against cotton gloves. I don't see in where I'm working at the moment, both myself and the other conservator, whenever we see a pair, we throw them away. They are, they are slowly purged. They are slowly purged from the museum because I don't, I just, I mean, of course, if you're listening to this and thinking, actually, I can think of all of these reasons why they're brilliant. Please do say because yes, I'm keen I, to I'm keen to know them. We can't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Talk, talk to us. Yeah. We, we are probably just missing something. Uh, that that's just reminds me that there are several museums I've been at where um, people people have come into the museum and they've realised that people are white cotton glove users, mm-hmm. and they have gradually made that pile smaller. Yeah. Or hidden it. So they've been very careful not, not to get rid of them because that would be upsetting. But they have misplaced them. Whereas I, I can't seem to find those gloves anymore. But here's a nice nitrile one. Would you like them instead? Because I can't find them anywhere. Oh, yeah. Which is a very interesting, <laughs> soft, uh, that kind of a uh, soft approach to it. It's like the facing I think, out. Yeah, <laughs> I think, the, the, yeah, generally sort of recommunicating why we wear nitrile gloves is, and then providing ready availability of yeah. nitrile gloves is the, the way to go but i think in terms of the they are reusable i i have a, we have a we have a an eco-friendly section of this podcast i believe <laughs> um but i will i will further be the grump to this and say yes the fact that cotton gloves are washable means that they are left about the place mm. and often not mm. washed and i've you know I've come into object spaces in in order to, you know, do necessary object handling and work. And there's been no nitrile gloves. And all these are the gloves we use. And they've been sort of just a heap of obviously not clean gloves. Mm, yeah. in, you know, They're they don't dirty. need to be brown or yellow in order to not look clean. And you'd... You know, yeah. when were these yeah. last washed? What were they handled with before? Like, it's a I'd little rather like the, just, you know, know what I'm touching, actually. It's a little bit like the uh, common tea towel conundrum in workplaces <laughs> yeah. where it's like, whose job is it to wash these? Because nobody's washing them. But <laughs> the, the same thing is true for cotton gloves, where it's like, mm-hmm. is this the, the poor previous conservator who had to take these home every day and wash them? I'm not really sure. Have they ever been washed? I mean, it's yeah. unclear. Also, I mean, you can buy a box of 50 pairs of nitrile gloves for four or five quid. Mm. I mean, I, I know, you know, we're perennially short of money, but we're not that short of money. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think uh, and generally we, health and safety quite is a long way down okay, the kind of list of cuts mm. before mm. we couldn't afford to buy nitrile gloves and mm. were yeah, reduced to sharing know. a single pair of cotton gloves <laughs> oh. every evening. So <laughs> I just wanted to say, Chloe, in your purge of white cotton gloves i hope mm. you're keeping a pair and keeping them for kind of archival purposes anyway rather than just kind of getting rid of them all i think i think you do need to keep one pair for the kind of history of conservation collection <laughs> yeah. oh i love that notion that would be amazing i think generally uh, you say archives archives have theirs we don't really have any um ahem rights to fling away all of their cotton gloves <laughs> so we can we can only discuss gently the pros and <coughs> cons of cotton <laughs> gloves um but yeah we, we we're not throwing away them i would be interested actually i mean as if we have any time but to go into if you were to you know be in the situation of you go into a museum and you should do object handling and oh these are the gloves oh they look like they were basically dripping with whatever it was that was on them last i'd really like to test what was on them Mm. Like like proper residue testing, <laughs> or oh. it would be disgusting, but it would be very interesting, and yeah. I bet the data would be. Um, but I mean, the, equally grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> the the white cotton, cotton glove problem <clears throat> is, of course, also public image, in that people will still receive angry outbursts from the public or similar when they when they've been seen not wearing the white cotton gloves that people want to see which is an interesting one. I think that's just something we need to work on changing where it's, no, we just need to make sure that uh, nitrile gloves are worn in, you know, in in TV footage, in uh, newspaper photos, you know, in anything, just to gradually start to change this uh, idea that uh, museums are white cotton glove people because we're not. I think the trouble is often it's not the conservators appearing in this footage or... 
um, in these photos. It's the curators. Mm, that's true. Um, so you also have to get your curators on side mm. and make sure that they're willing to wear nitrile gloves in all kind of public appearances, as it were, mm. even if they don't wear gloves behind the scenes. Yes. And I, I think it's it's probably a case of a little knowledge being a dangerous thing in that people kind of know enough about gloves and know enough about handling to know that people ought to be wearing gloves when mm. handling objects, but they don't know enough to appreciate the kind of subtleties that go into deciding what kind of gloves you wear in different situations or when it's appropriate to wear gloves and when it's not when it's appropriate not to wear gloves and mm. so on. Um, yeah, I think you yeah, I think that definitely goes for um or also goes, I should say, for the not wearing gloves thing, um, particularly for paper collections, because I feel that we've been educated that it's okay to not wear gloves for paper, but I have encountered sort of several kind of several opinions where there isn't the section where it where you say with clean hands. So, you know, people will have a biscuit and then without washing their hands for the next hour or something, then go and yeah, handle paper collections. Although this is now an interesting thing that takes me onto the topic of cross contamination because this to me is interesting. So um, I make it sound like I'm some sort of stationary povo now, but uh, <laughs> so I will use my pen when I have my gloves on, and I will write in my notebook. Then I will take mm-hmm. my gloves off, and I will leave the lab with that pen and notebook and sit down at my desk and touch them. So I, I'm wondering what the cross-contamination... Act, I'd be curious to see some statistics on if I've just handled arsenic uh, and I've kind of absentmindedly wandered off with the pen and the notepad that I've just used with my arsenic gloves. Uh, am I then spreading arsenic around the building? Like, <laughs> like I, I'm just... I am genuinely curious. I mean, it can't I've be... I've spent a lot of time It can't be myself. much, but I am curious. <laughs> Uh, just sort of anecdotally, I once spent three months doing nothing but surveying uh, lead seals um, and uh, the, the the kind of pendant seals that you get on documents, uh, oh. lots of which were basically kind of imploding um, and full of quite wow. kind of traumatic uh, powdery corrosion products and mm. so on. And uh, so, yeah, I, obviously I wore my gloves and so on. But uh, like you say, I was I was documenting everything. I had my laptop there. I was typing on it with mm. these gloves. Um, and yes. uh, then merrily going off and washing my hands and eating my lunch, but goodness knows what. But that was uh, 15 years ago, and I'm still alive. So Yeah, there is that. <laughs> <laughs> Not which, dead which yet. Is good, which is excellent. <laughs> I actually have a, a nice anecdote about this very topic, because I have, um, in my own way, being obsessed with hazards and their communication and the the presence of them in museums blah 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 um and in one of the museums i've worked at in the past um they have actually had residue studies um done um it's it's all published but i won't name just because i don't want to irritate anyone um they um residue studies with the you know the companies and the the, the researchers who are looking at pesticide residues in bees and you know mm-hmm. to try and work out why the, the poor thing's dying um and they tested a range of their collections um and also computer keyboards um wow. because occasionally they would type wearing gloves mm-hmm. and the main things i think and, and uh, another reason i'm not naming the 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 museum is because I can't remember any of the details because I've only just remembered. Um, <laughs> though all of the levels were very low, very reasonable, absolutely fine, there was a significantly more, significantly greater amount of arsenic, I think it was, hazardous material, hazardous substance, on the space bar of the keyboard than any other of the of the keys. Oh, I love that. That's a great piece of So fact. that's one of those sort of, you know, the the residues might slowly increase and be very low, really, you know, comparatively low uh concentrations, but that the greatest use key on the keyboard will slowly grow in its in its um quantity of 
Oh, interesting. Of hazardous residue. Yeah. I've used all the word, you, wrong words with that, but it's very interesting to me at least. Yeah. Do you know, Chloe, how significant these levels were? I don't. Because, I, am, I mean, we, we get arsenic from a range of sources anyway in everyday life. Including rice. My mum emailed me yesterday to say that the way I was cooking my rice yes. resulted in much higher arsenic concentrations <laughs> than uh, other ways of cooking rice. That sounds like the most typical mum phone call. Yeah. <laughs> Stop doing this, so, it's hazardous. Oh God, I've done the right opposite. I've told my mum about that particular study. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I'm the old lady. I mean... You know, should we be worrying about the space bars on our on our keyboards, or is it just something to be aware of? But really, it's not particularly a threat unless you happen to be using something incredibly toxic. Um, I think that generally, generally levels were because it, I mean, this is you know, tests have been done at this institution before. Everyone is very up on their safety. Every, everyone is very up on their um, awareness of the presence of pesticides or other hazardous materials um so i don't think it was a major panic it's just that um i suppose it, see it as a reminder to clean keyboards really and a, and a reminder that where gloves touch is no long you cannot consider it sort of overly clean all i mean as you say we are we are faced with levels of particular hazards whatever they may be wherever we go but they you know if they don't we, we have to be considerate considerate of the workplace exposure limits as set by the health and safety executive that's a disappointingly sensible answer i was kind of hoping you were going to recommend either that you have a kind of personal amenuensis to write down all of our notes for us sorry or or alternatively what i would love is if we have those kind of ceiling mounted microphones like you see pathologists get that would be amazing so that we can just be kind of you know sort of commenting on our work well (laughs) okay in that case in that case i'll change my answer yes it was terrible everyone panic (laughs) get like voice controlled everything and don't touch things ever again was that better yes okay great (laughs) something that comes up a lot with disposable gloves is of course you have to bin them um and i will be I will have a firm opinion on this. You do have to bin them. I <laughs> No, I can't abide people who are like, oh, these gloves are probably fine. I'll keep reusing them for like the next week. Don't do that. You're depositing whatever, whatever grimy <laughs> you touched last onto the next thing. Um, it's like, try not to. It's a disposable you, glove for a reason. But you can recycle nitrile gloves. Yes, and that was exactly what I was going to bring up. There is oh, now sorry. a recycling scheme Although I've only found one, and it is by uh, Kimberly Clark Professional Kimtech Gloves, can be recycled, uh, which is an excellent piece of news because this has not previously been an option. Um, unfortunately, there is this big important notice on their website that says, This program is only designed for use as a Kimberly Clark Professional Kimtech Gloves in pharmaceutical or bioscience manufacturing companies, research facilities or universities, which to me suggests that conservation hasn't made it onto the map yet, uh, which means that you're fine if you're a university museum because you're within a university, uh, but maybe it's more challenging to get this recycling scheme um, into museums. But that's perhaps a conversation mm-hmm. to have with these companies just to make them aware that actually uh, we would like to be more sustainable. Could you recycle some of our gloves? Because why not? I'd be interested to know whether it's just that brand that they will recycle or whether they'll recycle all brands because I think we'd probably have a, a, a hard time convincing museums stock people to buy the expensive gloves because we can recycle them there, over there the cheap that. gloves because we've always bought the cheap gloves and they're absolutely fine. Yeah, it's a great question. And mm. I, I don't really, I don't really know. I mean, how closely are you going to check the rubbish? Because yeah, there are an awful lot of brands of natural gloves out there. And um, yeah, they really come in all ranges uh, of like colors and all sorts. Of, I, I love colors. Colors of different <laughs> natural gloves are amazing. Purple ones seem to be pretty standard. I've seen white ones. Yeah. You've mentioned teal ones. Teal, 
Which We're using blue pull at the moment. Okay, so that's blue ones. Well, blueish blue and purple. Oh, right. They're okay. called bl- literally blue pull. Oh, right. That's cool. what it says on the box. Well, I mean, I, I've certainly seen blue ones. Uh, yeah. I've, I've seen, in a box, I've seen green ones, but I've never had gotten to wear them, which makes me disappointed. <laughs> I quite like the notion of green uh, nitro gloves <laughs> for some reason. I think it's because it's my favourite colour. Uh, yes, I've seen white and also black ones. Uh, we use we use black ones at home, which sounds weird, but uh, my partner does a lot of uh, silicone casting, so he uses nitrile gloves a lot as part of his work, and he works from home. So there are black nitrile gloves all over our house. Creepy. Which looks <laughs> slightly weird. <laughs> so I'm, I'm interested that the, the spectrum is very much towards the kind of cooler colours and... Nobody yeah, seems to make yellow, red, orange. No, that's a good point. Do you, do you think it's because those are alarming colours and people don't <laughs> want to be <laughs> alarmed? Um, which is an interesting one. But yeah, you're right. They don't do warm colours of uh, nitrile gloves, which is kind of interesting. Which is a shame because otherwise we could kind of accessorize with oh, whatever yeah. we happen to be wearing <laughs> that would today. Be brilliant. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> but hey, now contrasting colours. Purple yeah. gloves means it looks great when I wear yellow, which is grand. Um, now, I've just made it weird now. Um, <laughs> what next? <laughs> um, right. Uh, so gloves versus chemical safety. It's interesting that we use nitrile gloves because they aren't necessarily the best in terms of chemical resistance. There's a lot of uh, different types of uh, chemical safety tables out there. And if you look up whatever brand your your gloves are, there will usually be a um, information sheet or some sort of tool on the manufacturer's website to work out uh, what kind of chemical resistance those gloves offer you. So it can be that they're not very good with acetone, for example, which I find hilarious. Four second, four second permeability, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm amazed at that because we do use acetone an awful lot, uh, usually. Um, so, I mean, I guess... I'll- I mean, you, you can get... Uh, so, I mean, whenever I've done anything with acids or whatever, I'll wear... Uh, sort of long acid resistant gauntlets, yeah, yeah. Uh, rather than obviously rather than nitrile gloves or whatever. So, so there are other options, but oh, then yeah. of course the trouble with conservation is that it's not just about chemical handling, but yes, it's also about quite. object manipulation, and you're often doing these things at the same time. Mm. So, the kind of gloves that probably give you the best uh, chemical protection mm. tend to be the very kind of bulky, long, thick yes, ones, yes, which quite. reduce your manual sensitivity. Exactly. Um, so um, I guess it, it kind of depends on how you weigh up those factors. Mm, quite. So, But there are a lot of resources out there. So if anyone does want to go away and read up on the chemical safety of their gloves, that information is totally out there uh, in billions of different forms. Uh, a quick Google search will help you immensely. Um, there it's, are... it's also worth um, having a look, actually, um, when you are next buying gloves for your museum um, at the different brands because um, they all publish their failure rate as well uh, which is basically a number of um, gloves per box that can be expected to tear or have tiny pinholes in or whatever Um, and uh, last time I was buying gloves I found that the rates varied hugely actually so some brands had a failure rate of less than one percent some were kind of like up to three percent so that's something else to bear in mind as well not all nitrile gloves are equal that's really interesting. I didn't actually know about that, but that's that's well, you cool. do now. Yeah, I do. <laughs> so, so yeah, today we learned. So I think the the other thing that we um, hot topic is something we've talked about a bit already um, with the use of no gloves. Mm. In that the you can be putting hazardous things on you, and oh, don't do that. Um, and we we are of course very familiar with the um, negative effects of. Um, handling objects without gloves in terms of the object safety. Um, and previously to this, I was always saying, you know, well, all right, if you simply can't wear gloves for, you know, reasons of object delicacy or, I mean, other reasons, I suppose, allergy yeah. might be and might be a. I mean, nitrile is supposed to be fairly safe, but then yeah, there will always be different sensitivities. Exactly. Um, if the if that it really isn't a choice, I've in the past said to people okay but you need to wash your hands before and then wash your hands every half an hour to 20 minutes after you started you after since you last washed your hands Mm. um and in doing the you know desperately trying to find out what study that was i have found new studies um 
particularly from Terry Kent, a forensic scientist. Mm. Um, he has written several blogs in collaboration with different museums, um, namely the British Library and uh, another one that I have not written down. Cannot remember, I'm afraid, sorry. Um, the Essentially, the, the summary of this is that the hands on skin can produce um, amino acids or s- general sweat um, after only five minutes since the last wash. Um, and those amino acids can get into paper and then bind with the paper in a slightly vague scientific way um, enough to leave both fingerprints and other damaging oils. That was part of a paper that was presented at the Birmingham uh, Icon Conference uh, last year. I think what I what I took away from it actually is that there is no such thing as clean hands. Yeah, um, and isn't that uh, a good as, point? As, as Chloe said, um, even if you manage to wash all of this, all of these deposits off your hands, then they renew anyway mm. in five minutes um and so unless you are literally going to be washing your hands every three <laughs> minutes or unless you're washing your hands and then touching an object and not touching it again then obviously it will do some good because washing your hands will get rid of dirt and grease and other things as well but you cannot get rid of um the stuff that's in your fingerprints basically you will always be leaving fingerprints on an object yes yeah, so hands will always be hands regardless of how clean they are I think everything we do has consequences. Everything we do um, is in the context of a controlled risk or a controlled risk assessment. Mm. Um, And all of this research is doing is adding to the information that allows us to make better risk assessments, I think. So I I don't think I I necessarily understood this as meaning you can't handle objects without gloves anymore you can only have this five minute window or whatever but i think it's given me a better understanding of what the likely consequences of handling objects without gloves are and it's up to me really to decide well you know what's the greater risk is Mm. it wearing gloves um and having decreased sensitivity um while doing an incredibly fragile repair or is it leaving deposits over an object you know i I think it's just it's 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 more information i I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily i agree absolutely and i suppose again it it also depends on your material and you know are you dealing with you know photographs or metal in which case you know consider carefully or are you dealing with a a fairly impermeable surface um Mm. that can withstand handling slightly more and you know again as you said weighing up the the pros and cons of you know what am i gaining in sensitivity that i'm losing in potential future damage and is that worth it i just had one further thought actually um Mm -hmm. and this is something that i i don't think there's any research on it but i'd be really interested to know um if anybody has looked into this um i uh cycle to work and i'm kind of involved in cycle campaigns and cycling research and so on and one of the big debates in cycling is whether or not to wear cycle helmets um and uh there's been research that suggests that um drive you're actually more likely to be involved in an accident uh if you're wearing a cycle helmet than if you're not if you are involved in an accident your chances of surviving that accident without serious injury or death are much greater if you are wearing a helmet of course um but you're more likely to be involved in an accident in the first place if you're wearing a helmet and that's because the people around you treat you less carefully drivers pass you more closely more recklessly and so on and that's because they perceive that you're wearing a helmet and subconsciously they think well this person's safe i don't need to be as careful and i kind of wondered whether there's anything similar with wearing gloves whether we handle objects less carefully when we're wearing gloves but i don't know the answer but then also i would love to know if anyone has heard anything about this yeah just i think you know, the, the the really kind of subtle things that uh, condition our attitudes and our behaviour. There's a thesis topic for someone. Yeah. Or are we also, <laughs> maybe maybe there would be, uh, maybe it could, it could go the other way, that if people are 
watching us handle an object delicately with gloves, maybe they would be made more aware of the effect of their interaction with the object. So, you know, I on gallery will always wear gloves while touching the object. And I often see people, you know, go to reach out to grab at something and then sort of look at me and go, oh, actually, there's, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> mm. So maybe it could go both I, ways. That would be really interesting. I can, I mean, I can see, you know, if you look at your hands and you've got blue hands, it's <laughs> kind of visible. But it is a kind of visible reminder that you're wearing gloves. You're wearing gloves for a reason. Um, that the object in front of you is vulnerable, um, and so on. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there, really. Um, and no, that's great. Very interesting thought. If anyone knows of anything. And next up is our interview. The British Library would like to add that their glove policy is always subject to review in light of new information. Today I'm talking to two Conservators who are right in the middle of the gloves debate. Cordelia and Paul, would you mind introducing yourselves please? Yes, sure. Um, I'm Dr Cordelia Rogerson. I'm Head of Conservation at the British Library. I'm Dr Paul Garside. I'm Conservation Scientist for the British Library. So... We're recording an episode of the podcast about gloves and we've been talking about um, issues to do with gloves and handling and how you communicate some of the uh, sort of complexities involved in that to people in museums and libraries and so on. Absolutely. I know you were doing some work with Terry Kent, which yes. was presented at the Icon Turn and Face the Change conference last year. And I wasn't at the conference myself, but I understand that there was some lively discussion afterwards. Yes, I'd say that there, it was definitely a lively <laughs> discussion. But I think it also highlighted a really important issue. And I think it highlights the fact that there are different opinions and different levels of knowledge. And also the fact that we don't know as much as we think we do about this subject. So when you say different opinions and levels of knowledge, do you mean among conservators or between conservators and the public? I think amongst conservators and also amongst users of objects in libraries, archives and museums. And I think one of the problems is that when people tend to be filmed for television, they have a very sort of overt use of gloves. So people have this perception that gloves have to be used whereas that might not be the case in every circumstance. Sure. And in fact, often the decision about whether or not to wear gloves is quite a complex one, and explaining that or communicating that can be quite... A it, it is. And, well, on the surface, it looks as though the British Library just has a blanket rule that we do not use gloves with collection items. And in practice, that is often the case, although not exclusively so. Now, the reason for that is because we have varying levels of access to our items. So some items are open access reference items. They tend to be the lower value items, moving through various different levels of security to very, very restricted items where they are really not handled at all. So... Um, we also assess risk across all elements of use. So it's not just the handling that we are concerned with. It is contaminants, light, um, thieves, vandals, fire, water, pests, all of the potential risks to an object of which handling is one risk. So we have to assess this across the piece. And we find that um, for a practical reason, the items that are of lower value and more often used, they don't require gloves to the level that um, people might perceive. Now, if I hand over to my colleague, Paul Garside, he might be able to explain it from a slightly more <laughs> scientific approach. Yeah. Um, I think there's historically there's been some confusion about um, what is actually transferred to objects um, if items are handled without gloves. Um, and even uh, taking that into account, the long-term impact of transferred material really hasn't been very well understood at all. 
So although it's known that if we do handle objects without gloves, there will be some uh, material um, in fingerprints transferred to collection items, exactly what that means in terms of the, um, the impact on that item is, is not really properly known or fully appreciated at the moment. It's certainly something that needs rather more research and work done onto it before, um, before any sort of definitive answer um, is known. But I think so, um, what we're trying to say is that items that are particularly vulnerable or incredibly high value or high profile at the British Library are very, very rarely handled anyway. You can't just turn up and request a copy of Magna Carta and handle it without gloves. No, you can't <laughs> flip through the Magna Carta, I'm afraid. You can't flip through Lindisfarne Gospels. Those have very, very heavy restrictions on them. And we actually record, particularly the Lindisfarne Gospels, we actually record whenever they are handled or open. So we have a very clear record of how often it might be touched. Um, and this has to contrast with items that are frequently requested and are of much lower value and potentially can be replaced. So those items are on um, greater use, they have fewer restrictions and we understand that there is a risk there, but then you have to weigh up the risk of other damaging factors which might be um, light damage or theft, um, physical forces, um, weigh that up with the actual impact of fingerprints, which is poorly understood. And in practical terms, given the volume of items being looked at in the reading rooms, which are not highly restricted, actually managing gloves for every single reader would be impractical. Yeah. We also had some discussion, actually, amongst ourselves for the podcast about um, the fact that people are very reluctant to wear nitrile gloves in particular because they find them uncomfortable and sweaty and so on. Actually, yes, absolutely. And also it can reduce your manual dexterity. And if you're dealing with a fragile paper, you are more likely to damage that fragile paper when you are using gloves. Yeah. I mean, I guess libraries are particularly at the sharp end of this discussion just because you have to offer access to readers, actual physical access often to objects in a way that museums don't necessarily exactly exactly and so this is really where kind of issues of handling and access collide and and you have to find the best way forward yeah we do and what we're trying to do is reduce the risk so my colleagues in preventive conservation spend a lot of time educating readers educating the reading room staff educating curators on how to handle objects and we provide book rests, snakes, we allow reader photography now to actually reduce the amount of handling that items require in the reading room. So we do everything we can to mitigate potential handling, but we cannot prevent handling of our items. Sure. And the um, research that you did with Terry Kent, has that had any impact on your own handling policies? I think what came through working with Terry and also the discussion that was had at the ICON conference is that we hadn't explained our reasoning behind our decisions as clearly as we might have done. So people were perceiving that we just had a blanket, we don't use gloves. Whereas in fact, there is quite a lot of thinking and risk assessment behind that decision. So we have endeavored in our blog post that you may be familiar with, um, to actually try and explain why we have that approach and what is behind it. But what came across very carefully from Terry is that we actually know less about the impact, the long-term impact, than we thought we did. Yes, and that uh, fingerprints are not 98% water. Yes. I think, I think related to that, one of the, um, the issues that came apparent was the assumption that um, hand-washing prior to handling objects was almost entirely um, carried out as a procedure to remove the fingerprint secretions with the belief that that would stop transfer of material, whereas in fact the, the far more important role of that is to remove uh, other uh, dirt from, from fingers and hands and prevent rather more conventional dirt transfer onto objects. So I, I think there's, there's 
been something of an assumption that um, the, the various procedures we've been uh, using for handling objects have been um, largely or entirely focused around problems of fingerprints, whereas in fact uh, we're taking into account a much wider range of different factors and different issues. So what's next with this research? We would actually like to continue with this work and uh, we would like to work with Terry more closely, who is also very keen on doing some real-time testing or ageing tests or just some more um, organised testing to understand what the impact is. Because I'm surprised, personally, at how little is actually known about the impact. And we can't really say that we're making the right decision if we don't understand the long-term impact. Sure. I mean, we conservators tend to take the view that any handling is bad and and it, it's probably catastrophic often. Um, I think conservators often jump to quite dire yeah, conclusions absolutely. about things and, and not always, as you say, with much, um, with full knowledge. Yeah. So it would be also interesting to find other people's views and have a more comprehensive survey of what other practices are being used and the reasoning behind it, not just whether gloves are used or not, but why gloves might be used and what people's understanding of the issues is. I think that would be quite interesting. Do you have any difference in, uh, in handling policy for staff and for readers at the library? Um, no, no, we don't. Other than staff are acutely aware of the risks of handling and every we try and put every member of staff through handling training with the collection care team to ensure that they have an understanding of how to support a book, how to reduce handling of it and so on and so forth. So no, there is no sort of distinction. We don't think that one person's fingerprints are worse than another. <laughs> we just try and make sure everybody is handling everything as well as possible and has a very good awareness of the issues. And have you generally found readers receptive to your reasoning once it's explained? They, they are actually, yes. We don't, I mean, a very good level of um, assessing reader satisfaction is the level of complaints. Um, <laughs> And often we'll find that when we've got had television programmes broadcast and we haven't been wearing gloves, we get emails in saying, why aren't you wearing gloves? And then we explain to people. So it's not a question of people are complaining. They often just want to know why. Um, but as I say, in the reading rooms, it would be very, very difficult to manage several thousand people a day with a pair of gloves and working out how to use them and then what to do with them and so on and so forth. <laughs> it certainly would. I think that's all we've got time for. But Cordelia Rogerson and Paul Gus, I thank you very much for talking to The C Word today. And uh, now we'd like to review some gloves, or at least in brief. I actually approached some companies that do sell nitrile gloves to see if they would give me any free samples so I could do a more thorough review. But uh, th there's been silence and crickets on that front, so they were clearly not interested. Uh, so um, instead, uh, uh, Chloe and I are going to talk a little bit about gloves that we either love or hate. <laughs> so I have a comparison review. Um well, I think I, I think a comparison review might be harsh because, you know, the ones I like less well will be, you know, and then these ones do these things and that's not fair. So I will say that NitroGuard Chem ChemoPure Nitrile Gloves, um, the blue pull ones are the ones I'm using most at the moment because they're the, that's the box that is open. Um, they are good because they're very lightweight. Um, they are actually very easy to put on. I don't know why. Mm. I think probably the texture of the inside. So they're, they're lightweight and easy to use for conservation. And they come in a size extra small, which is excellent because it means that you can essentially force your hand into an extra small and then the weight of the glove allows you to do much more tactile things and fine working things than you would otherwise do. Unfortunately, they are because they're so fine. They're they break really easily. And I was that, gonna say you have dainty fairy hands. Yeah. You are so adorable. Aww. You little pixie. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they're good, but I I do quite a lot of heavy things. Oh, yeah. Um and lifting heavy things. So they 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 often break. Mm -hmm. Um and I will go through far more of these 
more quickly than I will of other brands. Mm. So my other brand, I'd say my favorite brand, favorite that I can currently find, because at the moment I do have a, a wonderful set of teal teal green ones that fit perfectly and are really nice and narrow on the wrist, etc., etc. But I can't for the life of me remember what they're called or find them online uh, in any of my searches. So I will go That's for fair enough. We, we will uh, add this information later. It'll go <laughs> yes, in show notes. Vital information. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I can even provide a picture as soon as I get to work tomorrow. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, so my favorite. I'll go on Twitter later. <laughs> yeah. Look at these, a box of gloves. Um, my current favorite are the Kimberly Clark Purple Nitrile powder free exam gloves and i think these are one of the most common commonly used conservatives i think they're a little bit thicker they're like a good quality glove yeah they're nice and thick they are a good size sometimes i think i could do with them being a bit smaller but then i am exceptionally weedy so i i I mean i'm i tend to agree because they tend to be well we currently have some at work uh, because, but I think the boxes may be a bit old because I've had a few of them rip on me, and I've never had that happen with like Kim Ooh. Tech uh, gloves before. I've never had that happen, but um, yeah, so it might just be a slightly old box that I'm working yeah, my way maybe. through. But um, I do quite like them. They are a little bit too thick for fine handling to me, and I, I'm annoyed that the small is too small and the medium is slightly too big, <laughs> so I'm I always they, the way they annoy me a little bit but they are still good gloves in principle I quite like the Kim Clark ones, but um, my favourite ones I want to say are called Polico um, yeah, I think they're called Polico, and they are a kind of more dark purple uh, a kind of dark purple uh, rather than the, the Kim Tech ones. And they are slightly thinner, but they're quite tough, so they, I don't feel like they break very much. Um, but they are a bit thinner, and size-wise, they are a bit slimmer. So the medium fits me perfectly. They are, like, the most amazing thing ever. Like, I have them on my Amazon wish list. <laughs> that is the level of dedication I have to those gloves. That is what I want in my life. Yeah, so that's those are glove thoughts. Mm. Generally, size texture yeah. ease of on and off yes anyway i think that's uh, all from our reviews this week uh, as usual if you have any comments questions or corrections we would love to hear from you tweet us email us anything at all thanks for listening we're the c word and you've been listening to christina rosaic chloe rumsey and me jen mathiason you can check out our website at thecword.show Tweet us at the Seaword Podcast or simply email us on seawordpodcast at gmail.com. The intro and outro music is Spring by DD Mystic, used under a Creative Commons attribution license. This has been a Wooden Dice production.